From the heart of the Carolinas, challenging the smug, misinformed arrogance of the left. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. And good morning. Welcome to the broadcast. Good to be back with you. As we seem to be zipping through this week, and hey, week, how about month? Welcome to December 2022. Can you believe it? Is it just me or is this year just absolutely zipped by? And I think many of you know, once Thanksgiving rolls around this few weeks leading up to Christmas, it just flies by. Is that the way it works for all of you as well? Very much feels that way. But I hope things are coming together well in the run-up to the Christmas holiday for many of you as those celebrations approach and you'll be adequately prepared, whatever that looks like for you. I want to begin by talking about something that we have discussed many times in this broadcast, and it's the issue of a lack of leadership. Now, when I say leadership, I'm talking about good leadership. I think it was a few years ago I heard a discussion about the difference between leadership and management. Boy, that was a really good one. It was an interesting concept, because I had not heard that before. Because really, if you look at what we are experiencing in many ways, especially with the federal government, what we're watching is largely not a product of leadership, but of management. And this is why we end up with the results that we have. So it's important for us to step back and ask the question, who is actually going to provide leadership? In this case, to do something different than what has been done in the past. How many of you agree that many of the processes we've been watch- watching in Washington are the way to go? Case in point, appropriations. I need to have Thomas Massey back on this program. Several years ago, he did a really good video. And this was on the appropriations process, the way the government is supposed to be supposed to be funded. I think there are about 13 funding bills that are supposed to make their way through Congress. They start in the House. They make their way to the Senate and ultimately end up on the president's desk for a signature. This is the way the process is supposed to work. I cannot tell you the last time this has actually happened. And what's generally happened is they've decided instead to do these omnibus bills where they just throw everything together and it's a do-or-die piece of legislation and if we don't do it, the government's going to run out of money. The government might shut down. It's the end of the world. That's not the way it's supposed to be. 
And I don't care who is in charge. This is irresponsible to do this over and over again. So this brings us to our conversation about what is before us right now. Here we are in December. Right? December. By the way, when are these bills supposed to be passed? I think it's back in the fall. The fiscal year, I believe, starts in the fall. So what ends up happening is we have these stopgap bills that are passed to keep the government operating. Because they haven't done their job the way it's supposed to be done. The point that was raised by Thomas Massey that I really appreciated is there's widespread agreement on most of these pieces of legislation. There are things that simply have to be funded. That it's pretty easy to get done. Everybody's going to agree on. Now there are things that are controversial. But I think Thomas Massey was saying about 10 of the 13 appropriations bills are such that they can just be passed right through without much controversy at all. There may be two or three where there's controversy. Why not haggle over those? No. Let's throw all of these together and make it do or die. A couple of companion stories The Hill has put out. The headline of this one, Senate conservatives press McConnell to punt on omnibus. Senate conservatives have sent a letter to Mitch McConnell, urging him to skip a year-end omnibus spending package and instead insist on a short-term stopgap funding measure to punt spending negotiations in the next year. That's when Republicans will control the House. Now, there is wisdom in that. Wait until Republicans actually have the House. They will be the ones to introduce the legislation. There is wisdom here. The letter goes on. We believe it would be both imprudent and a reflection of poor leadership for Republicans to ignore the will of the American people and rubber stamp an omnibus spending bill that funds 10 more months of President Biden's agenda without any check on his reckless policies that have led to a 40-year high in inflation. They're making a great point. Wait, don't do this now. This letter, signed by Rick Scott, he's the guy who challenged McConnell for the top Senate Republican leadership job earlier this month, well, actually, in November. Letter signed along with Senators Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, and Mike Braun. They wrote Republicans must not accept anything other than a short-term continuing resolution that funds the federal government until shortly after the 118th Congress is sworn in. This is wise. Republicans will control a small House majority next year. They will have more leverage over the top-line spending numbers of an omnibus package. We'll get to that a little bit later because that's issue number two. Also is whether to include earmarks in the legislation, which some conservatives argue are a waste of money. Scott Lee, Cruz, and Braun argue any stopgap 
spending measure to fund the government until January or February should not include any add-ons. Folks, this is actually what's called leadership. It's quite unfortunate, by the way, that Rick Scott is not the guy who will be leading the Republicans. Quite unfortunate. The letter goes on to say, no additional spending, no additional policy priorities should be included. Any urgent items that require the Senate's attention should be considered separately and under their own terms. How many times have we talked about this? How these things need to be divided. Pass them one by one, the way they're supposed to be passed. I hope this is a message that the rank-and-file Republicans will actually recognize the wisdom of Mitch McConnell, I don't hold out much hope. We'll talk about that as we continue. Stay with us. Back of the Vince Coakley Radio Program. If you'd like to join the conversation, the Ingalls Market Stock Line. 800-9-2-1-10, The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. So I started out talking about the fact that we've got some good leadership that is provided, frankly, by the people who are not in official positions. And it's worth praising again Rick Scott, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, Mike Braun, And I think it's safe to say all of these guys are reliably conservative senators. All of them. They don't just campaign as conservatives. They actually vote as conservatives. And they're saying there's a need to skip this omnibus spending package. Fund things that are absolutely necessary. Do a short-term stopgap funding measure, and let's do the majority of the spending for the rest of the fiscal year. Put that into the new year when Republicans will control the House. There's certainly wisdom here. Does Mitch McConnell have the wisdom to pursue this? Well, we have another Hill story. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell announced there's widespread agreement among leaders in Washington about the need to pass an omnibus spending package this month. Now he's saying there are significant hurdles to reaching a deal. Which means talks could drag right up until Christmas to avoid a government shutdown. Isn't this getting old, folks? You have the same chicken little idiocy over and over again. It's the end of the world. And why are we here? It goes back to what I said earlier. They're not following the appropriations process. These issues should have been solved months ago. In fact, you should have been doing this instead of spending all this time on January 6th. It tells you about the priorities of these folks who are supposed to be 
minding the store. They're doing a crappy job. And then we've got Mitch McConnell there, who's supposed to be representing our interests, referring to meetings he's having on this omnibus bill, saying we had a really good meeting. Oh, let me do this right. Oh, we had a really good meeting. Laid out the challenges we're all collectively facing here. I think there's widespread agreement. We'd be better off with an omnibus bill than a continuing resolution. But there are some significant hurdles to get over to do that. For myself, I think the majority of my conference, defense and Ukraine funding are at the top of the list of priorities. McConnell saying the Democrats' request for increased non-defense discretionary spending is a sticking point. Well, what a surprise. So they're going to keep talking. So just expect, here we are, yet another opportunity to show some leadership. And one of the first things that Mitch McConnell needs to do here is to call out... to call out Chuck Schumer, to call out Nancy Pelosi... And see, why you got, Why have you guys not gotten this done already? Where are the appropriations bills that should have been passed months ago? Where are they? But here's the other thing that concerns me. I wonder whether we're going to see continuation of these things. Is this a question that's even been put to Kevin McCarthy? Is he going to actually, for the first time in I don't know how many years, going to follow regular order here and follow the appropriations process or is he going to keep playing the game and throwing together all of this junk into one piece of legislation and play the same brinkmanship game that's been played over and over for years there's no reason for me to believe Kevin McCarthy is going to do anything different than what's been done in the past This is how they work. This is what they do. McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy, they're going to meet and talk about this. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes... These are the things, folks, that really matter. And unfortunately, and, and I'm, I'm being honest with you, this stuff can seem, frankly, in comparison to a lot of the shiny objects out there, it can feel kind of boring and mundane. But folks, why do you think we're in the place we're in right now with inflation? How did we get here? It's by overspending. And they're going to continue overspending. And then we have this masterpiece reported by Bloomberg. House Republicans voted to keep earmarks for annual spending bills when they take control of the House next year. This is a significant victory for appropriators and swing district members and a defeat for conservatives intent on reining in spending on pet projects for lawmakers. Have these folks learned anything? Of course not. And this is what's really depressing. You know what the vote was 
158 to 52, closed door vote by the GOP conference. Confirmed by two people familiar with the vote, means Republican leaders can bring spending bills to the floor next year that contain lawmaker-directed community project funding. I mean, let's just say what this what this is. These are paybacks. You suck up to the leadership. The leadership will give you gifts. Fiscal year 2022 spending bill. There were $9.7 billion in such earmarks from members of both parties. Now, Republicans banned earmarks when they controlled the House in 2011. You know why? They argued it led to waste and higher budget deficits. The practice revived by Democrats in the 2022 spending bill with provisions to increase transparency. Ha! And swing district candidates heavily promoted their ability to bring back tax dollars back home. That's what this is all about, folks. This is a slush fund for politicians. Paid for by you. Kay Granger, Texas Republican in line to become House Appropriations Chair in the next Congress, abstained from participating in the earmarking process over the last two years. So I said last week she's considering using, using these next year, saying it's worked so far. And it's let lawmakers cut through the bureaucracy of waiting for the executive branch to approve funding for local projects. Oh, my gosh. These folks just don't get it, do they? So, expect more of the same, more of the same, because it looks like this is where Republicans are. Behind closed doors, this is what they do. Don't forget that. Stay with us. Over on the text line, yes, this texter goes here. Vince, unless we fix election fraud, Jesus of Nazareth could run and he would lose. Why do you insist on looking the other way? You mean the election fraud that happened in Florida? (sighs) I, I just don't know what to say. We've talked about this before. That's... If we continue focusing on this particular issue, I think it's proving to be a loser. I think it was a loser in the 2020 election. Vince, why not just not do anything? Shut it down until there's a real resolution and a balanced budget. I say this as someone that worked for the government during the 2018-19 shutdown, longest shutdown in U.S. history. Well, good for you for being willing to endure that. Steve out of Indian Trail. Hello, Vince. Shakespeare wrote, first kill all the lawyers. I wonder how he felt about all the politicians. (laughs) Outstanding turtle impression. He will never relinquish earmarks. There is bargaining chips to keep his minions in line. Yes, they are. That's how this works. Coakley, do you live under a rock? Our government only deals in trillions, not billions. Billions are pocket change. Oh, how foolish of me. 
<laughs> this person saying this is the Republicans and Democrats last chance. The same BS happens. I'm done. From now on, every two, four, six years, I'll be voting for any and all independents running. And if there aren't any, I don't vote. I'm done. Maybe this country collapsing like the USSR did in the 90s will wake people up. <laughs> yeah, that'll wake people up for sure. Let's call these omnibus bills what they really are. They're money laundering bills. As far as Mitch McConnell being a leader, think of this bag of trash I threw out last Tuesday as a better leader than him. If we really want to change the landscape of politics, get your butts out there and vote in the primaries. For goodness sakes, Jeff, you are absolutely right. I guess $32 plus trillion in debt is not enough. Keep funding the criminal government of the Ukraine while threatening to reduce Medicare and Social Security to the people who need it the most. Blue-collar retirees on fixed incomes. What sad state of affairs. If I wasn't depressed already. <laughs> Good day, Vince. Russ out of Moonville. Of course, McCarthy is going to keep playing the game the same way he always has. As long as they have the ability to bribe voter A with the money from voter B, nothing's going to change. By the way, voter A still hasn't caught on to the fact the bribe is just enough so they'll never get ahead. And, yeah, they'll remain where they are, beholden to them for whatever they decide their vote is worth. Using this process to put us all on the plantation, unless, of course, you're born or invited into the chosen few. Yee. A lot of people get this. And I've been chided here. Stop being an election fraud denier. Alrighty. Let's go out to the sprawling metropolis of Indian Trail. And Blake joining us. Good morning and welcome, Blake. Uh, hey, Vince. Uh, I'm a conservative and I am so sick of the Republican uh, fake leadership leadership being in scare quotes. But mostly, I just called to say your uh, impression of Mitch McConnell was great. Keep it up. Uh, we need to have uh, these goons made fun of, so keep it up. <laughs> hey, you have my word on that, Blake, and very much appreciate your call. <laughs> you know, it's laughable, but it's also sad. It really is. This is the best that we can do. And... You know, I've said before, to their credit, you really have to hand it to Democrats. They're the ones doing what I've suggested for quite some time. The Democrats are stepping out of the way, the older ones, in order for new leadership to emerge. We're not seeing the same thing in the Republican Party. I mean, they're trampling all over each other to rise to the top. In the Senate, it's just, it's hopeless. It really is. But what do you do under this circumstance? So let's talk about 2024. Shall we? I want to make sure, uh, Chris, you still have the audio from Nikki Haley. We didn't have time to get to this yesterday. She 
actually had an appearance at Clemson University. As reported by WYFF, the former U.S. ambassador and South Carolina governor, she stopped at Clemson University this was Tuesday evening to talk about the state of the country and the next steps for the Republican Party. She was a guest for Clemson's Turning Point USA chapter. She spoke about the importance of how America needs to come first. A couple of hundred people there for this particular event. Part of this addressing the Republican Party's poor performance in the 2022 midterms. Let's first listen to Nikki Haley talk about one of the lessons from the election in discovering what voters actually want. Listen up. They want strength, stability, and they want a party that's unified. So our biggest lessons are look in the mirror and realize that we have some work to do. (laughs) You think? Got some work to do. And I think the other obvious question people are asking is Nikki Haley thinking about running for president? I think these comments are very curious as well. Listen up. Well, we are taking the holidays to kind of look at what the situation is, but I have said I've never lost a race. I'm not going to start now. If we decide to get into it, we'll put a thousand percent in and we'll finish it. What does that sound like to you? That sounds to me like someone who's seriously thinking about running for president. You know, it's kind of interesting how the landscape has changed just in the past few months. Because just a few months ago, the conversation was about waiting to see what Donald Trump was going to do. And the word was pretty much out there from everybody that if Donald Trump is running... That these folks, none of these folks, would even think about running. I think they've all recognized this is going to be a totally different field. Totally different field. And I do think when this is over with, after the holidays, whatever it happens, you are going to see Nikki Haley announce she's running for president. I'm curious. Would you like to see her on the ticket? The top or the bottom of the ticket, for that matter? Love to get your thoughts as we continue our Thursday broadcast. Stay with us. Over on the text line, this texter says, I'm only voting for pro-cannabis legislation candidates from now on once it's fully legal. I will start voting for conservatives again. Looks like your votes are going to pot. Just kidding. (laughs) Good morning, Vince. Got one for you. Why is it that a spokesperson said that Herschel Walker was a better African-American than Senator Warnock instead of American? Just asking for a friend. I have no idea. You need to ask whoever said that. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) Vince... If making a true difference or passing any real bills were ever a true priority, none of these clowns on the right or left would have any political power. Isn't that the truth? 35 years ago, my uncle told me to vote rascal, which he explained means to vote the rascals out, regardless of party. Unfortunately, still hasn't happened, has it? If the Trump Kool-Aid drinkers keep looking in the rearview mirror, they can kiss the 2024 election goodbye. 
yeah, there's time, hopefully, to move away from this pattern. That's our hope, anyway. Vince Nikki Haley did Marco Rubio no favors during his campaign. Hmm. Not knocking women, but after this performance from Sleepy Joe Biden, the last thing we need in the United States is a woman president. Ooh, ouch. Vince is a conservative voter in South Carolina. Hell no to Nikki Haley. Thanks, Vince. I lost my lunch listening to Haley. Worst governor in South Carolina history. <laughs> I knew this was going to stir it up. I really did. About Nikki Haley for president, I have to say no. She's a Bush hangover. Done with these folks. Have a good day. Tulsi and Nikki. Doesn't matter who's on the top of the ticket. Boy, that would be an interesting combination. I think it's much more likely Nikki Haley would be a good fit as VP candidate. She's a woman of color, which makes it more difficult for Democrats to attack her. I support her. Mr. Coakley will not vote for Haley. She's like Mulvaney, a rhino looking for a well-paying government gig. Nikki Haley's too much of an establishment candidate to win the Republican primary. On the other hand, I'd like to see Carrie Lake run, as she would give them all a run for their money, including Trump. Vince, Nikki's not quick on her feet. She won't get past gotcha questions the leftist media will throw at her. Aha. Uh -huh. Nikki Haley gets my vote for president. Very articulate. Did an excellent job as governor of South Carolina. Love to see her and Trump spar. Hmm. I like Trump's policies and what he got accomplished, but his time has come and gone. His ego is too big. She's not running for president. She's running for Veep. She can't make it as a president because she can't stand the pressure to answer unknown questions coming her way. Just too mainstream and a bushy for my liking. She's establishment. I'm from South Carolina. I'd have to swallow hard to vote for her. Haley was a weak governor who caved on taking our flag down. You know which flag that is. If Nikki's on the ticket, I'll vote for the other guy. Not Nikki Haley. She quits too easily. She could have run for governor twice and didn't. She quit on Trump when she had a part in his administration. I really don't think America needs a person who quits. Just a sampling of some of the perspectives here on the candidacy of Nikki Haley. A couple of quick things I want to get to with all eyes on that Georgia Senate race. Oh, my gosh. This is a train wreck. CNN reporting. Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker described himself as living in Texas during a campaign speech. Remember I told you about the carpetbagger concern for Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania? It's the last thing Herschel Walker needs. Facing renewed and growing questions now about his residency in the final week of the runoff campaign. Described himself during a campaign speech in January as living in Texas and said he decided to run for Georgia's Senate seat while at his Texas home. <laughs> and you know, the media is going to, they know, you know who they're in for. You know this. 
You just can't do things and say things like this. There are so many unforced errors out of Herschel Walker. He's thrown this thing. It'll be a miracle if he wins. George Democrats have called for an investigation by state officials into Walker's residency. After CNN's report on this, that Walker was getting a tax break in Texas intended for a primary residence, possibly running afoul of Texas state law and some rules for establishing Georgia residency for voting and running for office. He said in January of this year, I live in Texas. This is speaking at the University of Georgia College Republicans, criticizing Democrats for not visiting the border when he made the comments. I went down to the border off and on sometimes, he said. Earlier in the speech, said he decided to run for Georgia's Senate seat while at his Texas home after seeing the country divided. <sighs> That's all he needs to add to the mix here. More controversy. Of course, this is way back earlier in the year. Uh, somebody obviously in Apple Research dug this up and brought it to CNN's attention. And now, as people are voting, because voting is already underway before Tuesday. And there's another bomb that's been dropped. You're, you're gonna. This one's going to blow your mind. Wait until you hear from Georgia's lieutenant governor what he had to say about this race. You want to talk about voter suppression? Just wait until you hear his comments. That and much more. Straight ahead in hour number two. Stay with us. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. From the heart of the Carolinas, an independent voice for liberty, an oasis of sanity and civility, a breath of fresh air. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Oh my goodness, this text line. <laughs> this is like a landmine here. Let's see if I can wade through it for a little bit here before we get to another story on that Georgia Senate race. Oh boy. Vince, I'd like to see Christy Noam run for president. She must work out. Nikki is like Obama dressed in drag. I've never seen another governor who managed to enrage every voting demographic in their state during their term. <laughs> On Herschel Walker events, these cabinets are not unforced errors. That's just who he is. Come on, man. Another person says, do you think he can win the erection? I mean, election? They're not going to let that one die either, are they? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Vince, I wouldn't vote for Nikki, for Icky Nikki, if she offered me a million bucks. If she's the Republican nominee, Biden will win in 2024. It's Jim out of Easley. If you're not for Nikki, you just don't like women in politics. Anyone who would lock themselves out of the governor's mansion, admit, is a lot more honest than Biden or Trump. <laughs> oh, my God. Goodness. So, I, I I just don't know what to say about what I'm about ready to share with you. It would seem that if you're a Republican office holder, the 
least thing you'd want to do in regard to racist thoughts standing is be agnostic. Just don't say anything. But we have a lieutenant governor in the state of Georgia who actually went on Anderson Cooper 360 yesterday and made some just devastating comments. We're going to get to those second. First, I want to play a comment about the election process now and the ongoing campaign. As you know, there's a runoff election, and it is on Tuesday, but early voting is already underway. Now, I want to make sure you understand this, because I know how things can get confusing for people. The lieutenant governor of Georgia, his name is Jeff Duncan. This is not to be confused with our beloved South Carolina Congressman Jeff Duncan. Now, the spelling's different, too. Jeff spells his name with a J. This Jeff spells his name with a G. G-E-O-F-F. So here he made this appearance on CNN's Anderson Cooper 360. And one of the comments he made, and I can see this, because this is already quite evident. I played a commercial for you just yesterday that gave you some sense of the momentum and the sentiment that is out there just raising questions about the fitness for office of one Mr. Walker. Jeff Duncan first comments on the subject of the energy in this particular contest, and he's saying things right now are not looking good at all for Herschel Walker. Here is uh, Jeff Duncan. Well, there's a serious imbalance of energy right now. The the Warnock campaign seems to be gaining steam and momentum, and every every time you turn on the TV, there's a Warnock ad running. And it's not necessarily the case the Walker side, right? I, I think, as you just mentioned, there was a brief five-day period where he was kind of absent from the campaign trail. The ads don't seem to be as numerous. Uh, and there does not feel like there's a ton of energy. This all came down to the suburbs. Can he convince the 200,000 people that voted for Brian Kemp but voted for Raphael Warnock in the general to show up and, and, and uh, click on his name? And, and it doesn't feel like that's happening. See, this is, this is a problem. It's a big problem. Big energy difference. Now, if... If Mr. Walker had gotten the same support as the governor there wouldn't be a runoff well here's the devastating comment and this is one of the things and and i to be honest with you i really think this is profoundly tacky of jeff duncan again this is georgia's lieutenant governor because he talks about his experience of going to vote he was asked the question who are you going to vote for? And he ultimately was told, he told the interviewer that he did go to vote yesterday. Listen to him share his experience. I showed up to vote this morning. I was one of those folks who got in line and spent about an hour waiting. And, uh, you know, it was the most disappointing ballot I've ever stared at in my entire life uh, since I started voting. You know, I had two candidates that I just couldn't couldn't find anything that, that made sense for me to put my, my vote behind. And so I walked out of that 
that ballot box uh, showing up to vote but not voting for either one of them. I, I really don't know what to say to this. You know, other than the fact it's, it's, it's in the very least, it's tacky. It's tacky. Talk about stabbing somebody in the back. I mean, what kind of encouragement is this to the Republican base to show up and support the Republican candidate? What about party unity? Where is it? So Jeff Duncan basically has thrown... He has thrown Herschel Walker under the bus. I've got to tell you, if I were in the state of Georgia, I would think very seriously. I don't know anything else about this guy's record, but I would think very seriously about not supporting him, voting for him again after this. This is this is really tacky. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. You know, from my perspective, I, again, I think this is one of those matters where, you know, it goes back to the saying, you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. That would be the thing to do. Just be quiet. Don't comment on it. Don't run to the media. If you've got misgivings, just keep them to yourself. But here we have somebody who's just basically run to CNN and said, you know, I couldn't vote for either one of these guys. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you wonder what kind of impact, what kind of impact will this have? Still to come on the broadcast, we're going to talk about a new lawsuit that has been filed. And boy, this is a monstrous lawsuit. A lot of money that is being sought will tell you what this lawsuit revolves around. Also, in a related story, banks who have the idea they can stop shootings, mass shootings, how would they possibly do this? We'll talk about this and much more as we continue the broadcast. Stay with us. Back on the text line. This texter saying, Vince, let's not forget Warnock's campaign is getting millions from outside Georgia, California in particular. This person would like to know, why did the lieutenant governor even go to vote? He knew what he was going to do. Makes a great story, doesn't it? The lieutenant governor in Georgia is a blue falcon. It is a military term. I need to look that one up. This is exactly where we are, Vince. Two candidates who are both worthless. Like picking between a grilled turd or a boiled turd. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Governor, in his comments, it's not tacky. It's pathetic. I would never vote for this piece of excrement. And telling me exactly why. Wow. 
That's if they were just between Biden and Trump. Would you vote or walk away? I don't think it's disgraceful. Not to vote when there's only two choices, neither of them good. I think this other texture made a good point. Why even go out in the first place and stand in line? Democrats virtue signal by voting for their party. Republicans virtue signal by not voting for their party. (laughs) I think it was very classy for Mr. Duncan not to vote for either one of the idiots. That shows a whole lot about his integrity. What's tacky is anybody that would vote for Walker. He's absolutely an embarrassment to Georgia. Vince, why did he show up? Did he not already know the two names on the ballot? See, this this is an important theme here. So Duncan shows up to vote early, waits in line for over an hour, then stands there and does absolutely nothing. Typical example of taxpayer money hard at work. <laughs> Sounds like the lieutenant governor in Georgia is in the bag for Warnock. Why else would he run his mouth off like that? I would never vote for him again. If I was a Georgia Republican. Also, you might not want to hear this. The more candidates that throw their hats in the ring, the more it favors Trump, I believe. Because they will siphon votes from each other. While President Trump's key base is still going to stick with him. Jeff, this is something that's been talked about. How many people are going to get in this presidential contest? And there are going to be so many of them. They all splinter their votes. And Trump, even though he doesn't even have a plurality, can still pull this off. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, G. Duncan, were the candidates on the ballot a surprise to you, or do you just enjoy sounding like an idiot? (laughs) Jeff Duncan is another example of how the establishment works, which you sadly are a member of. Really? When did I get membership? Comment from Lieutenant Governor Duncan to CNN Classic. This is why the country is in such turmoil. Conservatives and Republicans join Marxist Democrats to destroy this country in the name of bipartisanship. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Vince, it's not whether you like Herschel Walker or not. It's about control of the Senate. That's what's at stake here, isn't it? That is what is at stake. Oh, no. Oh, I get the idea. Somebody has to find Blue Falcon for me. There's another phrase which I will not use on this broadcast. But it's basically someone who screws over their fellow soldiers. Hmm. Yep. Exactly what has happened here. We have a uh, developing story to tell you about a huge lawsuit that has been filed in connection to the latest major school shooting. Survivors of the mass shooting at Robb Elementary School, Uvalde, Texas. They filed a $27 billion class action lawsuit against multiple law enforcement agencies in Texas. This was filed... In federal court in Austin, it names the city, the Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District, the school district's police department, the Uvalde Police Department, the Texas Department of Public Safety, and a number of persons who are members or former members of the agencies listed as defendants. 
The plaintiffs include teachers, parents, school staff members who were at the school May 24th when 19 students and two teachers were gunned down in adjoining classrooms just a few days before school was to let out for the summer. 17 others wounded. total of 376 law enforcement officers from multiple agencies responded to the massacre, the second deadliest shooting on a K-12 school in the United States. Officers waited 77 minutes after the shooter entered two adjoining classrooms before storming in and killing the gunman, who is an 18-year-old Uvalde resident. This lawsuit alleges the victims and survivors sustained emotional and psychological damages as a result of the defendant's conduct and omissions as a result of the shooting. According to the lawsuit, despite active shooter training, law enforcement fundamentally strayed from conducting themselves in conformity with what they knew to be the well-established protocols and standards for responding to an active shooter. The lawsuit went on to reference the dysfunction and extended time period law enforcement took to respond to the shooting. Pretty devastating here. Instead of swiftly implementing an organized and concerted response to an active school shooter who had breached the otherwise secured school buildings at Robb Elementary, the conduct of the 376 law enforcement officials who were on hand for the exhaustively torturous 77 minutes of law enforcement indecision, dysfunction, and harm, they fell exceedingly short of their duty-bound standards. When you hear it in these terms, my goodness, I mean, think about it. One 18-year-old shooter, 376 law enforcement officials, waiting 77 minutes. Of course, no comment from the school district, the city of Uvalde, state public safety department. This is the third civil complaint around the massacre that seeks damages from a number of parties. One federal lawsuit filed earlier this week alleges nearly two dozen people and entities, including the gun manufacturer and the store that provided the rifle used in the attack, were negligent and failed to protect a student who was killed. Other families filed a similar lawsuit back in September. Um, be interesting to see how this unfolds. $27 billion lawsuit. Is there a way to identify mass shooters before they strike? It's one of the questions a lot of people have been pondering for a number of years. Now, banks are working on ways to pull this off. What in the world can banks do? We'll talk about what they're considering as we continue the broadcast. Stay with us. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program and over on the text line. Scott G. has a compliment for the host. It's pretty nice. 
Vince, you're the most level-headed person I've had the pleasure to listen to. Never change, my man. Very kind of you. On the Georgia Senate race, I know the choice is ugly. I can't vote for a man or a woman that supports abortion and claims to be a reverend. Kind of a problem, isn't it? Vince, quite honestly, I believe that when the Georgia lieutenant governor said he waited in line to vote, then did not vote, it was pure TV show hyperbole. It's meant to drive home a point, point being the increasing number of low-quality candidates running for office. Yeah. Vince, I want to know when we can sue liquor companies for DWIs. should be pretty easy because you don't have a constitutional right to buy alcohol, right? <laughs> Interesting idea, tying in with this lawsuit over Uvalde. One of those going after gun makers, gun dealers. Speaking of, something very interesting happening. And this story, reported by Law.com, banks devising ways to ID mass shooters before they strike. Some conservative policymakers have said their concerned lenders will use the data to create an unofficial list of firearm owners in the U.S., which certain government agencies are prohibited from doing. Remember I've said to you before, one of the things that we're continuing to see is a pattern. We've already seen this with guns. We're seeing this with speech, where big corporations are doing big government's bidding for them. So the government doesn't have to trample anybody's constitutional rights. Just let big business do it. Could be happening here. Banks are developing technology to identify potential mass shooters. According to a CEO backing the push to get credit card companies to more closely track gun purchases. Detection scenarios are in the works that, if triggered, would prompt banks to file a suspicious activity report to the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. This comes from... The amalgamated bank chief executive officer, Priscilla Sims Brown. She made these comments yesterday. We're at the very early stages of this. This particular code just got approved in October. So those detection scenarios are still being brought together. But as this is implemented, these scenarios will be used. The strategy would mirror ways banks try to identify and stop fraudsters from using customers' funds. The International Organization for Standardization approved a new merchant category code earlier this year banks will use when processing transactions for gun and ammunition stores after Amalgamated submitted an application on the matter. Gun control advocates, as you would expect, celebrating this move, saying it would help banks flag suspicious activity at the retailers. While major... Payment networks have said they would adopt the new code. Some have argued it will not have its intended effect. Visa, for example, said it doesn't have access to data showing the products consumers are actually buying. That means the network and its banking partners would have no idea if a gun store owner is purchasing an automatic rifle or safety equipment, whether the customer is purchasing this. Banks have also faced pressure from Congress over what they plan to do with the new codes. 
Some conservative policymakers have said their concerned leaders will use the data to create an unofficial list of firearm owners in the U.S., which certain government agencies are prohibited from doing. Just so you know, banks already file thousands of suspicious activity reports every year as they detect a litany of potential misdeeds by customers. The new codes should mean they treat the issue of tracking gun purchases no differently. We'll see how this unfolds in the coming days. Before we go, I think so many in this audience, I suspect, have been touched by the music of Fleetwood Mac. And you've probably heard about the death of Christine McVie. She passed away at the age of 79. Characterized as truly one of a kind, special and talented beyond measure, is the way the group described her. English musician whose smoky vocals and romantic lyrics helped to catapult the rock group Fleetwood Mac to international success. The group saying there are no words to describe our sadness, the passing of Christine McVie. She was truly one of a kind, special, talented beyond measure, the best musician anyone could have had in their band, the best friend anyone could have had in their life. We're so lucky to have a life with her, individually and together. We cherish Christine deeply and are thankful for the amazing memories we have. She will be so very missed. Her family said she passed away peacefully, surrounded by loved ones at a hospital after a short illness. McVie was once married to Fleetwood Mac bass guitarist John McVie. Turmoil in their relationship, one of the creative engines behind the band's massively popular album, Rumors, released way back in 1977. Christine McVie penned some of the most cherished lines in the Fleetwood Mac songbook, writing the lyrics to global hits like Everywhere, Little Lies, Don't Stop. You remember that one? That became associated with Bill Clinton's first presidential campaign. In her lyrics, she chronicled the highs and lows of love. In simple but soulful terms, you make loving fun one of the melodic high points of rumors and a staple of Fleetwood Mac's tours. Summed up the joyful abandon of romance. Christine McVie, dead at the age of 79. Stay with us. This is the Vince Coakley Radio Program.